3: Welcome to Concussion Talk Podcast. This is episode forty five and I'm Nick Mercer, and I'm talking to Scott Anderson, the C C O the chief clinical officer chief clinical officer of Sync Think in Palo Alto, California. And they have developed a remarkable technology, ISync device that Scott will now talk about that device and what it does and and how it it uses eye tracking to, to help with the concussion, not diagnose, but the recognition, recognition of, of that, uh, the eye, that brain impairment for the eyes, the eyes show. Okay, thank you, Scott.
2: Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me, Nick. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, happy to talk about iSync and our technology. Um, it's been a long time in the making. You know, it's really uh, developed its roots uh, over a decade ago in um, a concert with the Department of Defense in the United States, and um, the D- Department of Defense uh, really funded a lot of the early work to develop the technology and to um, pioneer many much of the research around eye tracking um, as a, um, a, a biological indicator of brain performance and readiness. Um, really what the military was interested in looking at was um, are soldiers feel deployable and ready to perform the duties that they ask them to do. Um, you know, on the heels of basic training, um, you know, are they are they subjected to many things in training that may compromise their ability to uh, think on their feet and react and avoid injury. Those types of things. And then, in addition to that, um, is there you know the benefit of some type of mobile technology that can be used in the field that can justify the removal of soldiers when they've been exposed to you know RPE rounds or um, uh, you know uh, ammunition rounds things like that um, those things that may have uh, you know put a soldier at risk for a traumatic brain injury so um, you know this was uh, based on our technology really was developed based on this idea that many soldiers were coming home with issues that have been previously unreported and they wanted um, high fidelity objective information that could help make the decision for them about whether or not soldiers are optimized for battle and we see a lot of uh, carryover in that in the, the market for uh, regular folks, you know, regular people who are who have experienced a traumatic brain injury, who have been subject to uh, head injuries that require uh, a more sophisticated approach to how they're uh, evaluated. And that's essentially what our system does. So we take a a, a modified virtual reality goggle set um, that's equipped with high fidelity research-grade optical lenses, uh, cameras that work in the infrared to detect your eye position, and we measure your attention um, by providing a stimulus in the the system that you have to pay attention to. And over those years of study, we found there are certain uh, indicators of high performance and indicators of of, uh, impairment that are specific to um, uh, brain function that are um, uh, able to be detected in eye movements, and so um, our cameras sample at a really high rate and be able to, are able to capture this eye movement um, while you're performing various tasks, and this gives us a a, uh, a rapid. Um, Uh, indication of orientation, how well you orient to the world around you, how well you are able to um, process information, visual information, so that you can either verbally or motorically respond uh, quickly, um, and how well you're able to predict the things that are happening in your environment. And if you look at sports and you look at uh, daily life, we're constantly having to predict the world that's around us and having to respond to things that are happening in our environment. That's how we become synchronized with the world around us and how we orient to time and space. And so that's what our system does. Um, we found that in concussion specifically, that these visual orientation deficits are extremely common in patients, and um, there are um, uh, it's a it's a strong indicator of poor performance and uh, that there's a need for remediation in these situations. And so our system is developed to identify this with a series of 60-second tests that can be done really quickly and simply um, and non-invasively for patients. And uh, then we provide some remediation strategies to resolve the condition, to help resolve the condition. So providing some early-stage rehabilitation tools and some training environments, all in the virtual reality goggles that patients can use to improve their visual orientation quality. so that they can um, recover from their injury, and they can learn to orient better, so that they can um, avoid future exposure to injuries. You know, um, so that's uh, in a nutshell, essentially what our technology does, and uh, you know how we've been utilizing it in the field.
3: Wow, that's impressive. I know, yeah, I know, Dr. Jagar Jigar yeah. was is the uh, author of the study, but I just read or read the abstract. I see of the. Uh concussion subtypes that they found. it's the recent one, the ones from August nineteenth, yep. I believe, so that of was sent So uh what do you know what that the sure. can you explain what the thought. the five or five concussion yep. subtypes and you focus on eye right? Yes, Your so
2: technology? Yeah. So um, this is a massive, uh, you know, bombshell to the uh, to the concussion community in terms of, um, you know, a really positive step forward in terms of um, how we are understanding concussion today. Um, the traditional management of this injury has focused on um, the subjective reporting of symptoms and progressing patients based on how they feel and not by any objective standards. And the reason why that's the case is because you can x-ray somebody's head or give them a CT scan, but it's not going to show any problem in in cases of concussion. Um, And so the clinicians that are treating patients are left with, you know, having the patient guide them through the recovery process and letting the patient dictate how they recover. Um, the significance of the first, this paper that you're referring to, which is really the first evidence-based guidelines for concussion management, um, utilizing a a classification system, which is, let's look at what are the prevalent, prevalent indicators of concussion are, the most prevalent and common deficits that we see in concussion, and let's focus on how prevalent they are and and try to incorporate these into how we clinically manage concussion. And so the, the, the body of evidence has spoken, and uh, many of these clinicians, these experts in the field of cl- concussion research and clinical care, have come together to, c- to categorize these into... Uh, concussion subtypes and to classify them as subcategories that need to be measured and need to be properly evaluated. And really the whole point of this is that we're the emphasis needs to be on targeting specific therapies towards these dysfunctions so that they will resolve. And as you probably know, the the status quo for how this has been done previously has been to listen to the patient's symptoms, make the diagnosis and tell them to go sit in a dark room until they feel better. And when they feel better, then they you know miraculously have recovered and they should be fine um, and and there's that that's just not the way that we manage conditions in medicine and so I don't understand you know many of us don't understand why that's been the status quo for a long time and and re- the reality of the situation is we haven't had a body of evidence to dictate how they uh, mm-hmm. you know a standard of care for this injury and so um, as a result of that you have wide-ranging variability in how the diagnosis is made by clinicians and you don't have an evidence-based guideline to gui- to to drive the standard of care And so that's really what the the emphasis on this document, this publication really emphasizes that you need to look at these five symptoms. Number one, the vestibular system, highly, highly common in kids and adults uh, of being uh, dysfunctional after concussion. Number two, the visual system, um, which is something that is also very common, more common in children, but certainly common in adults as well. Number three, Um, headache and and, uh, post-traumatic migraine. Those are also the most common types of uh, conditions that people report after concussion is headache or migraine. Um, The next one is uh, anxiety and mood disorders. This is typically in cases of prolonged recovery where people are feeling anxious and depressed because they've been removed from their life and they've been, you know, essentially uh, told not to do anything. And so they, they develop these secondary comid, comorbid factors that affect their lifestyle. Um, it's not necessarily something that's truly prevalent uh, or uh, more prevalent than the other conditions I previously referenced, um, you know, at the time of the injury. And, you um, you know, beyond that, we look at other uh, factors such as um, such as uh, you know sleep disorders, um, involvement of the cervical spine. Those are all confounders to the recovery process, and those are things that we consider to be um, you know uh, elements of the clinical evaluation that must occur in order to clearly identify that a, a concussion has occurred and that a certain um, a certain um, dysfunction has resulted that needs some type of targeted therapy. And so a specific type of physical therapy uh, prescription and plan so that the patient can, can improve. Um, And I think that's, that's really what we are um, uh, focused on in the community is getting people to understand that this should be part of your clinical evaluation, that patients should demand that these systems be evaluated properly and objectively, and that they have uh, either, um, exposure to the therapy that's going to resolve these conditions, or that they are referred to a specialist who can do those things uh, for them, because the sooner what we know is that the sooner that you intervene, the quicker the condition will resolve with with the appropriate therapy. And if they're told to do nothing but sit at home and and wait for you know their symptoms to improve, um, they're not necessarily addressing the dysfunction that's occurred as a result of the injury.
3: Right. Okay. Well, actually, I know you uh, you worked for you worked for Stanford medical your medical director for Stanford. Sports medicine. Sports yeah, I ran, I
2: ran the sports medicine program. Yeah, for,
3: and, uh, uh, a long time. And the the Pac-12. You're you're on the board of the Pac-12, which is the NCAA Division on the West Coast, or a N NCAA Division on the West Coast and low Division One. Pac- Pac-12 sports medicine. Yeah.
2: yeah, it's a it's a uh, the Pac-12 is a athletic conference that yeah. uh, features twelve of the you know primary schools that yeah. uh, Stanford competes against, and we have a very strong a robust uh, sports medicine um, infrastructure that uh, compromises all the leadership and all the medical professionals from um, not only from the the conference itself, but also from all the institutions. And so we have been working for, you know, seven, eight years now, um, and I was the original chair of this group um, to really uh, pioneer um, multidisciplinary research uh, in stu- the student athlete population on areas like concussion. Um, there's other categories as well that we focused on, but but really the emphasis has been um, working on trying to uh, learn more about the natural hist- history of head injury and to design uh, concussion um, uh, studies around uh, our patient population, you know, which is and the the young student athletes, collegiate athletes.
3: And uh, before I ask you about double double vision, which is a particular just me. Um, you, you, the Stanford and the Pactov 12 has adopted, I think, device for, or just Pactov? Yep. 12 and Stanford. Yep. Well, I guess as part of the Pac-12, they have to. Um. So what? Who, as uses device, and how is it? How is this administered? You're talking about the therapies. I mean, do physiotherapists uses in yeah. So in uh, clinics. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the sports medicine doctors and the physical therapists and athletic trainers all work together to utilize. The system, um, both at the at different time points, um, at the you know at the uh, in the event of an injury, and so you'll see the technology utilized on the sideline during sporting events. You see it, uh, it will be used in a locker room, you know, after sporting events. It will be used um, in the recovery, you know, on a kind of daily basis type of thing, or you know, every other day type of thing until the the patient returns to normal. Um, all of that will be um it, it is part of a, a standardized protocol that the pac twelve is operating through the um University of Colorado, which is acting as a coordinating center for this uh um this uh this CAT project, this Care affiliated project that the Pac twelve right. is running.
3: Okay. That that is tough interesting. So our physiotherapist is also I know but it's performance as well. It's sort of performance to use as well, but in terms of concussion therapy and concussion when well, I say, I hate to say diagnosis, I mean, make it known that this is not a concussion diagnostic tool. It is a tool, it is a device that will help to highlight and ubiquitize certain parts of one aspect of concussion. And, uh, yeah, so
2: so we focus, our technology focuses on the vestibular and the ocular components right. of the concussion subtypes. So, you know, there is no such thing currently today as a, a diagnostic device you know, a, a green light or a red light, right? Uh, red light for concussion, and the reason why is because there's no uh, evidence-based definition for concussion, and so that's the reason why right. we're moving towards a subtype classification, which you see in other disease states, um, very common in other disease states too as well. And so, I don't, I think we're we're many years, and you know, it's so far off in the distance of having a diagnostic for concussion that this is. Uh, Going to be the future of how the concussion, how concussions are managed, and we look at the 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 most prevalent uh, types of dysfunctions that are common, which are the vestibular uh, uh, disorders and the um, the visual deficits that are seen. So we rapidly measure those, identify those, rule those in as the subtypes that are um, you know performing suboptimally and are in need of uh, rehabilitation. And that the point of that is. One, we want to establish uh, a a logical and practical workflow for clinicians so that they can, you know, essentially, uh, with objective information, they can make decisions to rule in and rule out the types of dysfunctions that are that are that they're seeing in their patient population. And two, that they can orchestrate and um, identify the appropriate type of treatment that's necessary for these conditions. Um, and what I mean by that is that there are specialists that are um, need to be focused on uh, these areas to help the patient recover um, that these, these patients need to see. You know, if someone has a visual problem, they should be seeing a neuro-optometrist. If someone has a vestibular problem, they should be seeing a vestibular therapist. If they have a, you know, a, a migraine, they should be setting, seeing a headache specialist, a headache and migraine clinic specialist. Um, you know, it, so it's about identifying the type of disorders um, that are you know occurring in this patient and getting them to the appropriate specialist so they can get the the actual treatment and therapy to correct their problem so uh, that's the, that's the important thing and that's what's not happening yeah. and so you're seeing people who are um, who are carrying these dysfunctions with them and it's leading to secondary comorbid issues that are affecting their lifestyle. And they're not recovering from those things because they're not getting to the right people that's helping them recover from those things. And the, what we've seen is the further away that you get from the time of the injury that you're living with this disorder, the harder it is to rehabilitate and the harder it is to get you back to normal. And so you're susceptible to other types of, um, of issues and, uh, you know, Pathologies and diseases and things like that that um, you know put that are risk factors you know become you know heightened risk factors as a result. So the the key point is, can we rapidly identify somebody at the time of injury about what is most commonly occurring with them? Um, and by the way, these all can overlap. You can have somebody that has a combination of these types of subtypes that needs multiple types of. of uh, therapeutic interventions for. It's not just one or another. It can be, yes. you know, someone can have a vestibular problem, a visual problem, and a neck problem all at once. Someone can have a, a headache and a you, know, a, a, you know, a depressive disorder and, you know, a visual problem at the same time. You know, those things can overlap. And uh, that's where the science is going after this is that really looking at the prevalence of clustering these subtypes and seeing which ones are most commonly, you know, occurring together with each other so that these clinicians are aware of the types of therapy that need to be provided to fix their issues. You Uh know, one point point I want to make about sleep, too, is uh, I think it's very important, is that many uh, patients who suffer concussion uh, have associated sleep disturbance. And this happens in the acute phase, and if their sleep is not... their sleep issue is not identified and addressed immediately, it will linger and it will delay the prognosis. And so that's one thing I I really love about our technology is that we can also identify uh, differentiated eye movements that's separate from some of the impairments that we see that tells us that the patient is sleep deprived. Um, So we know that if the patient is not recovering, we can look at their sleep deprivation scores and see that their disturbance is still affecting the way that they're recovering and that we need to get them the appropriate remediation for, um, fixing their sleep problems so that they can help, can expedite the recovery process. That's something that's extremely overlooked in the population, uh, yeah. the inju- injury population, and in, in concussion is that, that many of these folks, especially people who have been living with the after effects of concussion without the appropriate treatment, um, these people are waking up multiple times throughout the night. Um, they're having trouble fall asleep, falling asleep. They're getting four to five hours a night of sleep. It's extremely common for um, for people to have these types of uh, issues. Care- Carry over and become, you know, uh, impediments to their their healthy lifestyle after the fact. Yeah. So then that's,
3: they a, can't that's get, another they, piece I wanted to mention they, Then they can't get enough rest for, for the physiotherapy or occupational therapy, whatever, right. or even our psychology, whatever. But um, actually, yep. you were up you point to all think mean, because I'm I've been I'm sixteen years since my severe brain injury and have a vegetative coma, but uh,
1: selling a little.
3: But, uh, I also wanted to mention that you you said, okay, sorry um you said objective measures, so I want to ask you about the because when I think here objective measures I think of numbers stats yep. uh, and then just and just measures basically so so uh yep. what sort of results are of what sort of data does your device give to physiotherapist physiothera- physical therapists and doctors to know that yeah, so, someone is improving or not improving?
2: Sure. So what we measure is variance. So variance is okay. a key indicator of, um, of performance, you know, like, uh, yeah. in a, in the form of a standard deviation. So how many yeah. standard deviations are you away from normal performance? What is the variance between what we should expect to see, uh, in the normal population versus the impaired population? And so what we do is we provide a, a stimulus in the, in the goggles that you follow with your eyes or that you you know, f- fixate on as you're in motion depending on the system that I we're heard, measuring. I
3: read, I read there was a circular motion. Is that just? Yeah,
2: that's one of them. Yep, yep. Okay. yep. So we can do circular smooth pursuit where you have a target that's going around in a circle and we're measuring your attention, how well you can follow it. And our cameras that are working in the background in infrared, which you don't see, are taking snapshots of your eye position all along the path of the motion of the test. So in a circular smooth pursuit test, for example, that's something that we're measuring. And our, what we're calculating is the difference between where your eye is landing and where the target is. And the difference between that gives us the variance and tells us how much error there is between where your brain is directing your eye and where actually your eye should be. And so the lower the variance, the better the performance, the higher the variance, the more the poor performance you have. And the more that that is an indication of either, you know, something so some has care. something has, yeah, has affected your performance. Um, and that can be an injury, you know, a, a head injury it can be sleep deprivation. It can be drugs and alcohol. It can be mm-hmm. stimulants. You know, there's many things that can affect the quality of the performance of this. And so we we notice that there are unique signatures in each of these performance uh, in each of these, um, each of the tests that we capture and, uh, we can, uh, essentially differentiate between them and say, oh, this, this is a, you know, an indicator of performance of somebody who's sleep deprived. Oh, this is somebody who, you know, has a visual impairment from concussion. Uh, oh, this is a person with ADHD. You know, this is, we can, um, there are unique bio, biological signatures in each of those movements in the, of the eyes that, um, really tell us information about, um, the status of the brain.
3: That's very really interesting thing about the variance of the eye movement. Because, as I mentioned, as you know, i mentioned to you before that I have a, I have double vision. I've had double vision since my brain injury sixteen, sixteen years ago. So, yep. Again, though, long as you said, long time since since my injection. So it's not, it's you know, it's hard to rehabilitate and and uh, get therapy for this. But um, well, so how would, so I, so I have double vision in my eyes. I just don't like. I mean. I have binoculars delivision, so if I close one eye it's fine. The singles but my right side is on the right side eye dominant. Mm-hmm. So I can see I see better on it, but I do see right now I'm looking, I'm looking at my stove, very double and I see the pillar of one of my in my in my apartment coming down and I see that also to the side. So how would uh if I how variant show up in someone who with Degrees of of, above diplopia, double vision.
2: Yeah, so uh, that's one of the things we measure is what we 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 call that binocular coordination. Yeah. Um, So how well are you? Is the brain able to team the eye movements together? Mm -hmm. And so in our reports, you see the different performances uh, between the two eyes. And so you can see which one is the dominant eye, which one is the eye that's not you know that has the attention problem. You know, if you see normal performance in one eye and, and poor performance in another, you know, the recommendation in those situations many times would be, you know, we need to focus on training the other eye so that it can team with the other eye, with the, with the dominant eye. So the yeah. dominant eye may be fine and may not have a problem. The other eye may be lagging behind or may be doing something different. Um, this is something that we see in development all the time in children um, is because their attention is – they're learning to develop their attention. And, uh, um, you know, attention is a key – driver in, um, how we learn and how we, um, cognitively Retain do, the, yeah, do the things that do the things that we need to do, uh, on a daily basis. So, um, you know, in children, what we see is as they're developing their attention and they're exposed to a myriad of things that are happening in the visual field, they're honing their attention over time. Um, but it doesn't become optimized until about puberty. And prior to that, we see, you know, that the two eyes are learning to team together, and so they may be, you know, doing two different things. Um, and, and in certain instances, you know, for example, in, with reading, they may be, have one eye that's on one line of the paragraph, and, uh, you know, the other eye is below it on another eye. And what happens right. is the brain gets an error signal, and they can't maintain their focus, and so you see a lot of times kids turn their head away, and they can't maintain oh, their, okay. gaze, their gaze position for a long period of time because – they're looking at two different things and the brain can't process them both at the same time and you know, it creates an error. So, um, so, so being able to train these, these eyes to do the same thing is extremely important and a critical component of, visual, uh, of vision training or, or uh, vision therapy that neurooptometrists optometrists provide. And sometimes corrective lenses help with that. If diplopia is an issue, um, you know, there's different types of um, uh, tests that neuro-optometrists do to look at, you know, contrast sensitivity or depth perception or other uh, factors that may be disrupted that also can be corrected uh, with with prisms and, and uh, you know, different corrective lenses, those types of things. So um, it's all about you know, having a thorough evaluation, learning about where the deficit lies and then being able to remediate it either with, with training or some type of, um, you know, external corrective uh, device.
3: Right, wow. Always, I, I was actually, it's interesting to you talk also on Answer the Bell podcast, but Bell from ESPN. Yep. And uh, you're talking about normative data, so I'll ask you to talk about normative data. As so you actually mentioned, talk about how, if kid like the you were saying that kids learning and their eyes may the before pupils are learning how to their eyes to learn to ordinate so your measurements but I know you have a bunch of athletes like well like trained athletes to do use the I think for for performance measures. Yeah. But um but for for kids, so how would how would I mean you have learned the data for kids as well, but how's that differ from adults if using kids? You're looking at young, kids as opposed to above, say, thirteen. Like yeah, so
2: um, you know we have normative data on ages seven to seventy. Um, we look at um, and we published on this too as well. We look at um, at uh, the the curve of eye tracking performance across the lifespan it kind of looks like a hockey stick so to speak something you'd be familiar with a hockey yeah. stick uh, being where you're at yeah. uh, we see high 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 vari- high variance in kids as they're developing their attention it levels out in puberty till about you know 40 or 50 years old and then it starts to decline again as you get older and what we see is that um, you know you should expect to see normal population from from you know teenage years to middle the start of middle age and if you don't see it in that population then there is a potential that that those individuals can improve with training um, you know the the people that are outside of that that fall outside of that bell curve um, you know you can train them to expedite their ability to improve their attention over time but we see you know uh, uh, differing results based on their age and, and, uh, you know, based on their cognitive function and other factors, um, you know, that, that affect how quickly they can, uh, they can re- um, improve. Uh, now when we looked at athletes, athletes outperform the norms drastically. And we think this is because they have had, you know, repeated exposure to high velocity visual information right. uh you know for years and years and years and so they've learned to pay attention to things that are you know happening rapidly all around them all the time including the speed and trajectory of, of balls for for athletes that are playing ball sports and so we should expect to see really high performance in those athletes and so there's very uh, it's a very obvious situation when we see an athlete on the field who we think may have sustained a head injury we evaluate them And we see that they have abnormal or really high variance in their scores. We know that we should expect to see very low variance. And when they don't and they're two standard deviations away, we know that that's abnormal. Right. Um, So the key is, can we get them back to that point with training, with therapy and and in, you know, in those populations? We can. Um, We do that very well. The other thing I'm very interested in is, you know, sort of proactively improving visual performance um, in the non- uh, into the non, uh, impaired population now. So taking people who are, you know, perhaps, um, you know, performing at the, at the level of the normal population, but they need to be higher performing based on their sport. So for example, if we looked at baseball players, we know the baseball players are the best performing individuals, um, that we've ever seen in our system. Um, they're really high performing, very low variance across the board. They've had decades of, uh, low vary or, uh, high velocity information, you know, going, going, uh, uh, back and forth across their visual field for yeah. you know, years and years. Right. Makes so, sense. um, so yeah, tennis players as well. And so, um, but, but you'll see a percentage of these, of these athletes who don't look like their teammates, they look like you and me, you know, and, uh, and so it's, A matter of selecting those individuals and proactively training them to improve their dynamic vision training or their dynamic vision skill, so that they can um, have better attention when they're playing their sport, so they can optimize it essentially for their sport. Um, And so that's the that's something that I'm very interested in, and something that I think can be done with many athletes. It's a it's an overlooked skill, in my opinion, uh, an overlooked performance skill that can be screened and can be um, uh, improved, you know, for for sport purposes.
3: Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I could talk with. I could ask you questions all day with this technology. It's fascinating stuff. Um, but for back to concussion, for the last question. Um, so you have. So you say you obviously have measures of variance for prime movement for concussion individuals. that you look at? It, is there a number that you say? Okay, this person's eyes are. Or just depends on your your note data. If you don't have stay a base, you don't have a baseline per se jimmy or sarah who's yep. like 25 years old and they they think they may have a question and you measure them but you have no baseline praise data so how would you yeah, say so
2: yeah so um we look at uh it depends on the test because we have different variance measures against the norms that we should expect to see um but you know just a rule of thumb i would say that You know, typically if anybody has a a standard deviation, you know, it's greater than one. Like we we expect to see some variance in in all the population um, because nobody's perfect. But if someone is someone is, uh, you know, uh, full standard deviation away from the the normal population, then that's uh, abnormal in our opinion. So, um, you know, that's how we I, I would say, you know, there's some there's you know, as a rule of thumb, that would be the case, but um, for each of our tests, it's slightly different, so. Um, that be a, so,
3: that would be an average of all your tests together, like one foundation, average way, not one test away, not one yep. foundation, one test.
2: Yep.
3: So, so have you have you, have you had many, like, have you, have you, you've been to, obviously, Pac-12 uh, Medical Sports Medicine Committee, have you yep. seen any athletes who've in say, in acute situations, if, or even or far out from their concussion, have you seen? I mean, at least you display a obvious, like, an obvious, yep, all the time, parents, yeah,
2: all the time, yeah,
3: and and an Yeah, hour. we
2: captured uh, just last year alone with all of our kind of partners in the field and the people who are using iSync, I think we saw over 2,000 um, concussions.
3: Wow, uh, and they yeah. did the, 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 all of them. The, but there was the, I think, sink used and uh well i was using all those but was it enough it was an obvious variance for the eye opt- opt- best area, not yeah good. i mean
2: there's, there's a certain percentage of uh people who you know are, are you know falling in different categories as far as those are concerned um you know in terms of the dysfunctions that we pick up but in general i would say that um you know there's a a wide range of uh, evaluations that have been done on various populations and, you know, our system has picked up, um, you know, the indicator for these subtypes that we're trying to classify, you know, not, we're not, we're not making the diagnosis of concussion. We're not saying it's a, yeah. it's a tool that's going to make a diagnosis because we don't, nobody knows what that is. So what we're saying is, look, these are, these visual and vestibular issues are very prevalent in this type of injury yeah. and they sh- they, you should be evaluating these as part of your, your clinical approach. And if you're not, you should be, because the evidence is telling you that these are the most, you know, common things that we, we find. Right.
3: Uh, okay, so so what's the next for SyncThink and, I, and the iSync device and, and I think in and
2: Yeah, the next thing for us is, um, you know, we're really focused on the performance market and, uh, you know, continuing to develop clinical partnerships um, I think you're going to see some really interesting things in 2020 from us in terms of um, how we deliver this to the market um, with respect to the hardware that we use. Um, so we're, there's some really interesting and fascinating capabilities that um, we'll be we'll be enabling in 2020, and we're excited to launch those. And uh, I think it's going to be um, well-received by the clinical community.
3: It certainly sounds like, I mean, that's just, it's, it's, incredible, it's incredible technology. that loves how it works. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so how can people who are listening to this podcast, how can they find more information about syncthink?
2: Um, they can go to our website www.SyncThink.com. Um, they can follow us on social media, syncthink Inc um, at, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Uh, we routinely provide updates on our company and our research and um, you know the work of our partners there. So so that's where you can find all our information.
3: Well, thank you so much, Scott. this is a, like I said, like I said a fascinating talk and I love to just talk forever about this, but uh <laughs> I you know, you, you have work to do. So uh but thank you so much. This is a great great conversation and uh and I think uh, I definitely think the technology is useful for concussion you know, to, to not no, notice those o ob- and as subtypes of concussion.
2: Yeah, thanks, Nick. I appreciate being on, and uh, it's great to talk to you.
3: Thanks. Thanks again to Scott. I didn't like how I came across, came across at the beginning of that episode, but uh, thank you for sticking with me. And please visit my website at www.conquestiontalk.com, and please visit iSync, so com to find out what they're up to and, and follow them on social media. Follow me on social media, media as well at askingchristiantalk. Christian Talk. Thank you all again, and I hope you'll listen you again next time. As always, music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound, www.bensound.com.
4: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well?